The One Hot Minute podcast is brought to you by The Warehouse, who believe that saving the planet shouldn't cost the earth. Join them on their journey in making the sustainable affordable. The Hot Minute Podcast from Stuff's Forever Project. In early November 2006, something unusual happened. A New Zealand Air Force Orion on a fishing patrol spotted a hundred or so huge floating chunks of ice 300 kilometres south of Invercargill. The icebergs seemed to be heading north. And sure enough, a couple of weeks later, one of those icebergs was spotted again, this time just 100 kilometres off the coast of Otago. Word spread fast, and pretty soon local helicopters were making multiple flights a day to fly around or even land on the creaking iceberg. It got so busy that air traffic control issued flight paths. Air New Zealand diverted regular flights out to sea so passengers could see the thing. Visitors to the iceberg pilfered chunks of ice and took them home to chill their whiskey. From Australia, Channel 9 News turned up and put an Australian flag on the berg, and Kiwi journalists retaliated by planting a New Zealand flag. At one point, someone helicoptered a sheep out to sea and sheared it on the ice. The sheep's name was Shrek, by the way, and he wore special sheep crampons. It turned out the iceberg and the small flotilla of others that also drifted past the Otago coast that summer had been at sea for a very long time. They were part of a family that broke off the Ross Ice Shelf in 2000, originally in a single chunk of 11,000 square kilometres. That's slightly smaller than the whole Northland region. I'm Eloise Gibson, Stuff's Climate Change Editor, and you're listening to the One Hot Minute Podcast. Here's how it works. In Stuff's online video series, One Hot Minute, we give each guest just 60 seconds to tell their climate change story. And then in this podcast, we dig a bit deeper into what they said in that video. So why are we talking about the Otago icebergs? Well, it's like this. Icebergs have been breaking off the ice shelves in Antarctica and melting into the ocean since forever. But right now, there's a heat wave in Antarctica. Parts of it are warming three times faster than the rest of the planet. The fear is that as it warms, some ice shelves will completely disintegrate. In fact, a couple of them have already gone. When they go, it's like pulling a plug from the glaciers behind them, which can suddenly dump a whole lot more ice in the ocean than they were before. And that raises sea levels. Today's guest is Mark Michel. And rather than wait for icebergs to sail past New Zealand, Mark went hunting for them in their natural habitat. He's not a climate scientist, he's not a climate activist, but we wanted to meet him because he's someone who knows what climate change sounds like. He went to Antarctica looking for icebergs, and what he brought back was not ice cubes for his whiskey. It was something much better. Wonderful, detailed sound recordings of Antarctica's melting icebergs. 
Matt Michelle, welcome to the One Hot Minute podcast. So it's 2015 and you take a bunch of microphones down to Antarctica to record the sounds of glaciers carving, ice melting and seals barking. How did that come about? Yeah, two years in the making. That was um, uh, quite a unique opportunity, one that was presented to me by an artist, Joseph Michael, and his friend Rebecca Mills, actually, an environmental strategist. And they had this idea to go to Antarctica to capture icebergs and to bring those icebergs back and the, the awe and the wonder and majesty of those icebergs to bring them into an urban environment and to project them onto buildings around the world. So there was the opportunity for me to produce that expedition. I've done a little bit of sailing and then also the offer for once I got down there to uh, put my sound recorder's hat on, which I've done a bit of in the past. Not quite anything like that, obviously, but uh, the opportunity to record um, the icebergs in that environment for a month down in Antarctica. So describe this journey for me. You Mm. set off from Cape Horn? Close, uh, Ushuaia, uh, which is the, the southern tip of uh, South America, of Argentina. It's maybe a four or five day sail across the Drake Passage, but a really treacherous stretch of water. Uh, The day we were supposed to set sail, there were 10 metre swells. So a five day journey, and then, yeah, we're in Antarctica, on the Antarctic Peninsula, an area named Iceberg Alley. So you're on a boat, you're in Iceberg Alley. Mm. There's a photo of you uh, sitting at the bottom of this huge iceberg called Lincoln. It looks quite treacherous. Was it safe? Sure. Um, Safety's relative, uh, maybe a calculated risk. Maybe my calculations weren't ideal, but it turned out fine. Um, So we'd been at sea for three weeks hunting icebergs at this point. So I'd be setting off and recording these icebergs by myself, usually on a tender, um, while the other members of the team were on the ship and getting video footage and photographic footage mapping these icebergs. So we'd been looking for all sorts of icebergs. We'd usually visually map them. They'd be on the ship with a range of uh, cameras, and they would map it visually. So they'd get around 360, move around it, at which point they'd put me on the tender, and I'd set off to the iceberg to record it with my my kit of of various tools. So you're on a tiny dinghy going up to a massive iceberg. Yeah, so we saw... That could collapse. Yeah, yeah, they certainly can. They all do at some point, right? They don't, they're all melting. Uh, and that's part of how we're getting this great, especially the audio, is how we're getting this bittersweet audio of these icebergs um, making these incredible sounds and having these amazing sonic landscapes. And we came across Lincoln. And um, yeah, it was not like anything we'd seen before. It was. Uh, it was a giant iceberg. Uh, it wasn't tabular. There's tabular icebergs that can be up to 15 kilometres in length that, that do break off. But it was, it was reasonably large. Um, and it had a giant dome that it somehow carved out um, inside with three giant archways that you could approach. So as soon as I saw that, I was like, I, you know, I really want to get as close as I can to that. At the very least, I'll sit outside and I can get some of the audio of, of it inside. Um, which I did. So I set out on the tender and um, I was advised to be really careful, not get too close. Um, and I sat outside one of the arches and I tried a couple of the different arches and was just getting this incredible audio. It was echoing out from the 
from the dome itself and I could just, yeah, I was, I was already getting some great sounds. I think I knew before I even hopped on the tender that I had to get inside and capture it right in its belly. So I did, I drifted inside and sat there for 15 minutes and the audio, which I think we may hear, is, uh, was stunning. There were layers upon layers of just the most interesting sonic landscapes from you know, cracking, creaking, really loud, low-frequency, thundery frequencies to uh, sheets of ice coming off the ceiling and you can actually see through some of the ceiling and some light projecting in from above. So yeah, the adrenaline was running pretty high. Uh, I was super excited. Uh, knew that there was a risk, but I was really just quite consumed um, the opportunity to, to capture this. You got the sounds, you came out, but you went back and tried to revisit Lincoln, didn't you? Yeah, we were going up and down Iceberg Alley, hunting these icebergs. And uh, yeah, we thought we'd go back and try and get some more visual cues and some more photography and video footage from it. And no, it wasn't there. There were no remnants of it. We couldn't identify it anywhere. So it would have... Uh, carved off and collapsed and then spun upside down and broken up. Without you inside. Without me inside. Thankfully. Yeah. (laughs) One thing I'm curious about is why did you call it Lincoln? Each iceberg had a name. It was a great way to be able to identify them all easily. We started with A and ran through. So Lincoln gives you an idea of what would have been the 12th or 13th iceberg that we came across that was good enough for us to spend a few hours mapping and and getting recordings of. You got down to Yoko, so you must have mm. had quite a few. Yeah, we did. We got through and we started back again, I think. So, yeah, Yoko was right towards the end. I think we were just looking for um, anything of notoriety, a name that would stick and that we were all aware of. I don't know if they were directly relevant to um, their character too much, um, but now that I think about it, maybe they were. There are actually maybe some qualities. Yoko was very boisterous. Um, she was pretty noisy and small. What other sounds did you collect during the trip? So I had a sense of the things I may get down there, and I knew I'd maybe get a bit of wildlife and maybe some sounds of uh, icebergs running aground. And we definitely got the natural sounds, uh, which were just fabulous, and it was way more than I was anticipating. I, I really hadn't um, thought that Antarctica would be so teeming with life. from, you know, plankton through to, to whales. And we saw, you know, like, whales every day and seals every day and penguins and seabirds. So I got quite a bit of natural ambience. And then there was the icebergs. I didn't really know what to expect. Again, I thought maybe some of the best audio I'd get would be um, icebergs running into something else, which is great stuff. But when I set my microphone to our first ever iceberg, realised just how nuanced and vocal it was to the point where I thought that my equipment was broken, it was phasing, it was doing something really weird, I was sweating buckets thinking that, oh no, I'm not going to be able to get this remedied while I'm on this trip. But there was um, just incredible amount of sonic variance and noises from every iceberg and they're all really uh, distinctly different. Hence they had voices and you know we were, um, we were naming them and they really had a sense of character to us. 
So Joseph Michael used your sound recordings as part of a multimedia artwork. He projected images of collapsing iceberg on the side of the United Nations building in New York, just in time for that big political summit on climate change in 2019. But before that, you did a multimedia artwork on the Auckland Museum. The recordings of that are just astonishing. It's this huge multi-storey building with a life-sized iceberg on it and your sound recordings playing over the top. How did people react to that? People were blown away. It's a fabulous building. So the chance for, you know, 9,000 square metres of iceberg wrapped around it was something that was viewable from Devonport. You know, you could see it from all around Auckland. A lot of people wanted to get really close and actually stand underneath it and get that sense of scale. A lot of people were actually preferring to be at the other side of the domain to, to see it in, um, in context to the environment. Um, but the sound was something that really brought it to life, and a lot of people were really taken by that, uh, especially when there were some uh, passages of the collapsing or carving of the iceberg and um, scaring little children. And, um, yeah, it was pretty astonishing to relive that and through the eyes of other people. We get our information about the planet and how it's changing in so many different ways, don't we? There's articles, documentaries, news about the school strikes, news about floods and hurricanes. What's different or useful? What's the point of projecting an iceberg onto a huge building like that? Art at its core, I think. it's um, And with good arts, the opportunity for people to interpret it. Uh, we had our own drivers for being down there. Joseph had his own drivers. Um, we're certainly cognizant of having a conversation about um, the state of the, the planet and climate change. It was a chance for us to celebrate uh, the majesty of these icebergs, um, but it was also bittersweet. Um, you know, there's a real sense of we're getting to enjoy something that is uh, a phenomenal uh, natural process that we've had a hand in, in amplifying or accelerating. In regards to uh, presenting it to an audience, there's an opportunity for people to interpret that, and I think it was about celebrating that environment, the chance for people to experience that and realise just how alive that environment is, I think was super powerful. Now I want to come back to the sounds and the experience of these icebergs, but firstly, I've got a quick quiz for you. Question one, what percentage of the Earth's fresh water is bound up in the Antarctic ice? That'd be 70%. Very good. <laughs> did not know that myself until we started uh, doing some research to talk to you. It's astonishing, isn't it? Yeah. Just the amount of water that is there makes you realise why the scientists are so concerned about, you know, every little change down there, right? Yeah. Um, okay, question two. What part of Antarctica is most at risk of melting as temperatures rise, the west or the east? Uh, the west, I believe, um the area we were in, 3% temperature rise since 1950, uh, more than any other part. So I think that's the west area. Very good again. So Adam and I, our producer, were talking about this. He didn't know that Antarctica has two parts. Mm. I had to get my pencil out and do a little thing, the, you know, the jutty bit out. Um, but yes, there's two parts, the east, which is by far the biggest part of Antarctica, and the smaller western Antarctic ice sheet, um, which is the one that kind of pokes out to the side a bit. The east is much bigger, but thankfully, as you say, it's the safer of the two from melting. Mm. Of course, the bad news is if either of them lose any substantial amount of their mass, it's not great for coastal property in New Zealand. No. <laughs> All right, question three. Yeah. What is this song 
Who's the artist and what's it about? Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on, get paid. Hey, so I recognise it. I've jumped around to it, I'm sure, more than one occasion, but I'm happy with getting two out of three. Uh, right, Eloise, I can't answer this question. Mark, disappointing from a sound, uh, a sound guy, but... You'll know it as soon as I say it. It's All Star by Smash Mouth from 1999. And, of course, the reason we've included it in this podcast is because it's about climate change. Uh The bit we played was the chorus, but there's a part no one remembers uh, from the verse, which includes the lyric, the ice we skate is getting pretty thin, the water's getting warm, so you might as well swim. Ah, nice. Two out of three, though, very good. Very well done. And you got the two science ones right. A little caveat to that, if we want. Um, If that 70% of the Earth's water does melt... We're looking at 50 to 60 metre sea rise, so that's a big part of the coast. <laughs> In case our listeners are panicking, this is, uh, it takes centuries to get to that level, so there'd be a bit of planning time, but yet certainly land masses as we know them would be unrecognisable, wouldn't they? All right, uh, a couple of personal questions. How old are you, and when did you become aware that climate change was a thing? That's a great question. The first one's really easy. That's 46 that's how old I am. When did I realise, when did the narrative become um, real? It seems so obvious now, like it's just, it's inherent in our, you know, and our understanding of our planet. So you think 10, 20 years, that's, we've got to be aware of it. Well, it was about um, chlorofluorocarbons. Maybe it was one of the first kind of stories or narratives that I became aware of. And so like the ozone layer kind that's of brought right. you to this other issue. Yeah, yeah. The, the ozone layer was um, depleting. And we actually met um, the team that first discovered that Antarctica, huh. at the Ukrainian base. Um, and they were quite excited when we got down there because it looks like it was closing. So yeah, that was probably it. Don't use cans that are using the fluorocarbons. So that was um, over 30 years ago. Did your feelings change after that Antarctic trip? Uh, They did, but it was more actually um, a sense of encouragement about the resilience of the environment. There are significant changes happening, but the realisation that it's full of life, but humans still can't really exist down there. Uh, So there's no one that lives in Antarctica. You might seize in a year or two um, if you're you're brave, Um, but humans aren't... uh, aren't made to live down there and we're not going to be doing it in a hurry and we certainly aren't able to harness the minerals very easily down there and rape and pillage the environment. So there was a real sense of not necessarily how robust the environment is but how humans really aren't required and when we're gone, that area certainly won't miss us. In fact, it will probably thrive again. And we're talking millennia down the track, but it's been there for millennia. So this idea that we actually think that we can harness these environments or we're in control of their environment, even though we're impacting on it so heavily, is misguided at best. You recently became a dad. Congratulations. Thank you. Did that change your thinking? That's the conversation I'm sure many of us have these days before you even think about having a child or bringing a, a new being onto the planet is, um, should we be doing it? You know, what are the ramifications? What does the future look like? There's certainly a monologue that runs in my head, which is uh, my daughter asking me when she gets to the right age and when she's aware of what's been happening, depending on how we're tracking in 10 years' time or so. Did you know, Dad, that this was happening? And the answer is, of course, yes. And then what did you do about it, you know? 
Uh, why were all my toys plastic? You know, why were you still eating meat every day? Why were you still burning fossil fuels and not getting out in the street or making any changes? So it certainly made me a little bit more present with our situation and more aware that um, as a current custodian, I've got responsibilities. We're almost out of time, but producer Adam and I were really fascinated by those sounds you collected, and we want to hear more of them. You've sent us these files, and I wondered if you could tell us what we're hearing. Yeah, so one of my missions uh, out for the day was kind of a home base, an area called Scontorp Cove. It was great for anchoring, super sheltered. And I was sitting in this beautiful glacial cove area, capturing all these really subtle and and delicate sounds. It's really quite challenging to get the volume or the gain right on your audio equipment because you know that something loud might happen. And this was a real example of that. So this massive sheet carved off this glacier and it actually peaked. So it was unusable audio for the um, exhibition or for anything else uh, bar this interview probably. Then I started up the tender and got out of there before the waves, because uh, a big carve like that off a glacier is going to create some swell. So I'm trying to get out of there before that swell reaches me. Now I feel like I can guess what this one's going to be from the file name. Seal Underwater. Yeah, so that was early on in the trip. I started off just by staying up at night when everyone else went to bed, and we had a dead ship, so there's no generator, there's no noise. And I was playing with hydrophones, underwater microphones, and yeah, I came across this chat. There were a couple of seals chatting to each other. I spent maybe an hour just listening to them have this chat. I think they're Weddell seals. There were a lot of different seals down there. Um, but I believe that's, um, yeah, the song and communication of a, a Weddell seal. This file is Valerie Iceberg collapsing. So we'd been camped out on a rock filming this gigantic archway, and it was really tenuous. It was really thin and really high and wide, and we knew that it wasn't going to last forever. So we um, camped out, uh, had the red cam set up and photography ready, and we spent, uh, I think, 18 hours just waiting for it to move. We decided we needed to get some sleep. Uh, we got back to the ship. Joseph got up, crack of dawn, and we headed out about 4, 4.30 in the morning. He dropped me off and went back to get the rest of the crew that were taking their time to, to wake up and get everything collected. In that time... It collapsed. So they missed it. Um, I got to see it. Um, I got to hear it and record it big chunks of ice projectiles coming off it. So if you listen to the full recording, there's actually sounds of those bits of ice crashing against the rock that I was sitting on. So I dove behind a rock but um, managed to, yeah, get the recording. And we called it Valerie, actually, because it was on Valentine's Day that we first discovered it. So that was a special romantic moment between just me and Valerie. She wanted out, I've got to say. <laughs> yeah, she did. <laughs> All right, whale under tender. I was floating around on my tender recording some brash. Uh, brash is the remnants of an iceberg or a glacier. It's smaller chunks of ice, and it was pops and crackles, and it had some lovely audio. And we'd seen some whales, and I'd been chasing them around trying to record them. 
uh, and this one just popped up under the tender. I could see it coming along. It was a minke whale and had a calf in tow. So I was already recording and just let it run. And it passed about a metre under the boat and did a couple of laps and it was off again. So this is Lincoln Iceberg. That's the now infamous Lincoln that we've talked a little bit about and that's just a sample of the 15 minutes of audio that I captured and just a whole range of sounds just layered upon layer. If you've got headphones on, I would you go back and, and listen to that with headphones or on your with your sub in your lounge because you're gonna hear some incredible low frequencies. I think that, that piece speaks for itself. Thank you, Mark Michelle, for coming on the One Hot Minute podcast and sharing your amazing sounds and, frankly, pretty awesome stories. We really appreciate your time. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the One Hot Minute podcast. Don't forget to also check out the One Hot Minute video series where you can hear Mark Michelle talk about the day he sheltered inside a melting iceberg. There are links on the Stuff homepage and from PlayStuff. If you want to make sure you catch every episode of this podcast, go subscribe now on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to this right now. And if you have a second, give us a quick star rating on Apple Podcasts. Five stars would be wonderful, thank you, as it increases the odds of other listeners finding us. This episode was produced by Adam Dudding and me, Eloise Gibson. It's part of the Forever Project, Stuff's newly launched portfolio of climate change coverage. Thanks to Patrick Crudson and Carol Hirschfeld, and a special thanks to Otago Daily Times journalist Stephen Jackery, whose article we drew on for its great detail about the Otago icebergs of 2006. More information is at stuff.co.nz slash one hot minute. See you next time.